What's up, everybody? It's episode 12 of the Listen In Podcast with Jake and Sean. Howdy. Uh, this week, we have a packed episode. We are discussing the best rock records of the 2010s. This is an idea that was actually uh, done by the Celebration Rock Podcast with Stephen Hyden. Uh, which is a great music podcast uh, that you should definitely check out. Um, If you like what we're doing here, give his episode a listen. Um, We're basically paying an homage to Stephen Hyden. He's a borderline friend of the pod. He liked liked one tweet of mine about Pine Grove, so I think that makes him now officially a friend of the pod. I don't want to say big friend of the pod yet, but he's a friend of the pod. Best friend, dare we say? I think he's just like one of those casual friends who like, is a friend of a friend, and you're starting to get a little bit closer. You wouldn't hang out by yourself, though. That's still a little Sounds, familiar. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's yeah. a fair assessment. So, yeah, we're paying homage to Stephen Hyden and his podcast, which we really enjoy. We love the conversation about the best rock records of the 2010s, so we thought, hey, why not do it on our own podcast? Why not give it our own spin? Jake is playing through some sickness today. Yeah, this is going to be, as you said before we recorded, Sean, like a Jordan flu game performance. As you can hear probably from the unusual depth and scratchiness of my voice, listeners, I've contracted some sort of illness. <laughs> some sort of viral disease. To this to this date, I don't know the severity of it. It's only just picked up today. And uh, if you don't hear from me again next Tuesday and Wednesday, then you'll know that things didn't turn out the best for me. But... But I appreciate you listening, and I'm gonna I'm gonna soldier through. There might be points where I, I come in and out of, of full lucidity and clarity in my thoughts. You might be listening to the Listen In podcast with Sean next week, and yeah. that's it. It might be a solo show going forward. The Listen In Sean cast. Um, so Sean. before we get into the best rock records of the 2010s, we wanted to do a new segment that we're still working on a name, but basically it's gonna be all about having magma hot lava takes about. News, um, specifically, we wanted to do a segment um, around listen or skip it. Yes. Which will basically, it's what it, what I just said. It's, should you listen to this or should you skip it? Not only should you because these are albums that we haven't listened it's to. Will so you. it's basically between Sean and, and me. That's an ob- object right there. So it's a me instead of an I. Um, more grammar. This is the grammar pod from now on. <laughs> This is the sickness kind of yeah, my yeah. brain. So it's basically Sean and I have not listened to this album, and we'll we'll tell which album it is in a second. And it's a discussion of whether we will or if we're going to skip it. The other segment we're going to do, you've heard before, if you listen to one of our early podcasts for whatever reason, that is uh, buy or sell. And we have usually that's like a, a tidbit of news that, and we basically discuss: do we buy it or do we not buy it? Which in this case means sell. Yep. So Sean, do you want to kick it off? Yeah. So to kick off our hot magma lava takes, which are going to be as magma hot, fresh out the earth's core, out of the earth's core, it's going to be like a Totino's pizza roll coming out of the oven that yep. you bite into for the first time and you scald the roof of your mouth. Yeah, that's you, how hot you this is going to be. You permanently never taste the same again. That is correct. So. First, buy or sell, Jake, the news that Kanye says he is releasing a new album this summer. So I am selling that news because Kanye can't seem to complete the album he just put out. I wouldn't be surprised if what he means by a new album in in July or June, whatever the hell he means by summer, uh, is just the life of Pablo again with like a new diss track thrown in the middle. 
uh, I don't know. What do, you, do you buy or sell this news? I am selling this so hard. Yeah. So he came out and said on Twitter, he's like, new album coming in, in summer 2016. And up, according to him, the title is Turbo Graph X 16. I didn't see that. Yeah. I guess it was like this old video game system he used to play when he was a kid. Uh, so he's naming it after that. But as we know, Kanye does not stick to album titles. So this name means literally nothing at this point. Yeah, he just basically like when Kanye says what an album title is going to be, he just wants to tell the world things he thinks sound cool. Right. That's basically that he's just like, time. oh, the new album cover is uh, riff raff tracks. It doesn't sound good, but he might think it does one day. So that's the that's new right. album title. That's right. So I'm selling this hard. It's a fire sale here for me on this. I it's. It, going back to our scorching hot magma takes, yeah. this is a fire sale. Yeah, I agree. S- no way is this coming out in summer 2016. I, after he just quote unquote released an album that, like you said, isn't even finished. It might not be done. We might we might never hear the end of Life of Pablo. And like I said, maybe this is just Life of Pablo V2. So quickly about Life of Pablo, I, I think obviously we did our breakdown podcast a couple weeks ago about it. And we kind of said it was uh, a mess. It sounded unfinished interesting point about this is has Kanye turned the album release into an art piece itself is he saying that no art is ever finished and I'm releasing this fluid piece of work that just is never truly finished and it's up to you to determine what an actual finished piece of art is I think that's the I think Kanye is a next level genius hot magma take yeah I don't know that that's really what's happening. To me, he seems like he's someone on the verge of mania, like not being able to completely finish a new record and decide when it's perfect enough because he's on top of being an egomaniac, a perfectionist. And I think he just, based on the way music's released now, realizes, oh, I can continually toy with... I don't think he's trying to toy with fans, but he's like, he's like, I can keep changing it. It doesn't really matter. Fans won't... They'll still listen. But, I mean, hey, maybe that's how it'll be written about in 20, 30 years by, you know, uh, some pretentious writer one. It may be us. Maybe us 30 years down the <laughs> might road. Be, this might be some revisionist history from it, us. It it's, might be. It's like how Rolling Stone would just trash every new record that came out. Like, they gave Zeppelin poor reviews. They yep. gave Sabbath poor reviews. And now those albums are on their top 500 rock exactly. albums of all time. Not rock albums, just albums. Just albums, yeah. So we so, want to jump into the next segment? Yeah, next segment. So this is a new one. Listen or skip. And, and this time around, we're discussing the new Macklemore album. Yeah. So, Jake, is this a listen or is this a skip? Well, and so the reason that we're doing this album is, for, in a rare case, neither Sean nor I have listened to the new Macklemore album yet, which came out this week or last week. Last, oh, week. last week, last Friday. Uh, so Kevin Kelly, friend of the pod, texted me today and he asked if I had listened to it. I said I had not. He said mixed things. He was like, it doesn't really know what it wants to be as an album. And they're really enjoyable tracks, but I don't know, this and that. And I said, I'll probably listen. So anyways, listen or skip. I'm leaning towards listen. Maybe give it one. See how it goes. Feel it out. If I'm not digging it, maybe I just listen to Downtown on repeat for the rest of the summer. Listen or skip, Sean, on the new Macklemore album. This is a skip for your boy because it's getting really mixed critical reception as well. That's the other thing. Which, look, I don't want to be a slave to the critical consensus. I don't think it's smart to always do that. I think there's worthwhile albums that are 
you know, maybe not the most critically acclaimed that are still very good and very enjoyable. I think in this case, though, I already don't love Macklemore. I don't really care about the music that he's making. Um, I've seen some headlines. I've seen some some tweets about um, his albums, and it just doesn't seem like something that I'd be interested in. Yeah. So I'm going to skip this one. With the amount of other music I, I've listened to, this just doesn't feel like it's in my wheelhouse. It doesn't overly interest me either, but I like Downtown enough to just hear what else he's up to. Also, the way uh, that Kevin described it to me today in his text was that it sounds like it's trying to figure out if this album wants to be My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy or just, like, the punchline of a joke. And I couldn't... And I was like, that sounds almost... That sounds fascinating in the same way that, like, a car accident is. Like, it's just a freak occurrence of chaos and... But it, it, you can't make sense of it, and I don't. I just. I'm. I'm very curious to see what this is all about. So I think it is just trending towards towards punchline of a joke because, like I mentioned, I saw some tweets about it, and I believe it was the AV Club or maybe it was Stereo Gum. It was one of those guys. They were like, "Yeah, we tried to keep an open mind with this album, but it's bad." <laughs> like, really? Yeah. So really? I don't uh, know. I'll probably give it one listen. Here's the other detractor, Sean. It falls well outside our our hot zone for album lengths. It's not in the 35 to 45. It's not even in the 45 to 55. It's 57 minutes. A near a near hour long album with that's been sort of critically panned and even Macklemore fans seem kind of mixed. I don't know. I, you telling me that information just absolutely confirmed that I will not go near this album. <laughs> I'm not going to listen. Skip, skip, skip. You know what might happen? This is what I'm going to hope. I'm going to listen to it at least once, and I'm going to hope that the effect happens where you go into a movie that has gotten just like a 1% on Rotten Tomatoes, and you go and you leave, and you're like, sure, it was bad, but I, it wasn't It wasn't that bad. It wasn't a 1 on Rotten Tomatoes bad. Hopefully that happens with the with um, this unruly mess I've made. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, so basically you have a Jake will listen, Sean will skip, and we're both selling the Kanye. Can I also make one last point? Another shame. So we talked last week about Animal Collective, how Painting With, with a cool album cover, was wasted. I feel that's happened with this Macklemore album. This Unruly Mess I've Made is a cool album name. I think it has a cool album cover. It does, but that's not enough for me to listen no, to. No, no. That's what I'm saying. Is I'm saying they, they if it's as bad as people are saying, they botched a really cool sort of... Uh, Pairing aesthetic, with the, yeah, aesthetic with the name and, they and did. title. They did uh, not the name and title, the name and cover. That's that's true. Um, so you can be expecting that segment coming uh, with more fresh out of the microwave <laughs> hot takes. Yeah, burn your mouth, even though it didn't really feel hot, it just sort of is because it's from a microwave and yeah. it's like yeah. So you're gonna get more of those those takes from us. Um, so now to the main event, which is discussing. 2010s yeah. rock records. This is going to be great. I'm excited to do this. And so I think what we wanted to do is first open it up with a little discussion about the 2010s so far as a decade in rock music. Um, it's an interesting time for rock. So we discussed this with Cam and Adam of Sorority Noise when they came on the show. And basically, this is a time in rock music where critics, writers, pundits, whatever you would like to call them, can't determine whether rock is... What, where it's at, really. Is it receding from the culture? Is it just a down period? Or is it actually, as some, maybe Ian Cohen of, of Pitchfork fame, would say uh, that there's an actually there's some real growth going on in certain sectors, including emo and pop punk and stuff like that. Where, what's the stance of, where's rock right now? And so my question to you, Sean, is um, what, do you, what do you make of 
the state of rock at this point. Yeah, so this was something that, that Stephen Hyden and Ian Cohen talked about on the Celebration Rock podcast that we are, are kind of paying homage to. And I think they made a good point that in certain corners and in certain people's minds, rock is in a good place. Yeah. Um, I would say the general critical consensus and I would say the general music fan consensus is that rock is in a lull right now. And I think you see that most exemplified when you look at what some of the overall quote unquote best albums of the decade have been so far. Yeah. So if you look at what those are, you know, it's the Kendrick Lamars of the world with To Pimp a Butterfly and Good Kid Mad City. It's Twisted Fantasy by Kanye and Yeezus by Kanye. Frank Ocean, Channel Orange, yep. you know, even Drake you could throw in there. Throwing so some stuff out there. I think what you're seeing is a lot run of... Run the jewels a little bit. Yeah, run the jewels A lot as of well. it's rap. A lot a of lot, it's hip-hop. What, yeah, what you're seeing is a lot of it is rap, a lot of it's hip-hop, a lot of it's R&B. It, it's different styles of music than what the, the casual or normal rock fan would yeah. either be interested in or would look at and say, oh, rock's in a great place right now. So the interesting thing is that this is basically a podcast about rock music during a period where I think it's pretty safe to say that rock music is not the torchbearer of breaking new ground in music. And it hasn't been for a long time, but I think there's a whole lot to be enjoyed in rock music right now and in the last, well, five and a half years since 2010, which is what we're discussing today. So, I mean, I think that's the interesting thing. And so I guess, Sean, what would you, how are we defining rock? That's the thing we have to, that's what we have to try to determine. I think that's the issue. With Spoiler this. alert, we don't really know. Yeah, I think, and I, that's a great point because I think that's the issue with this conversation in general and why a lot of people look at rock and say, oh, there's there's nothing new going on. It's because there's so many different sounds and subgenres of rock happening that it's really hard to pinpoint one specific thing as, oh, that's rock music in the year 2016. Rock is a genre that's is such a huge umbrella. You could, without even a doubt, classify a band like the Beatles under the same umbrella as a band like Metallica. Mm-hmm. Two band, th- those are two musical. That's those are artists that sound nothing alike, have totally different aesthetics, totally different like points. They're, they're making different points. They sound completely different, but they're both rock bands. And that's the thing is like, it's hard to define rock bands. It's a shifty sort of amorphous definition. I think part of what we kind of how we try to define it was guitar is in the mix. Yeah, I think guitar is in there. It. But there's so much more going on with a lot of the records that we are going to discuss that are beyond just guitar. Uh, you, you know, you start to have electronic elements be brought in. Um, you start to have different string arrangements and some really interesting other uh, instruments that are being used beyond just uh, guitar. And I think when you look at what the, the subgenres are underneath rock, I don't think we've ever had more. You know, you no. mentioned emo before. We have pop punk. We have, um, you know, hard rock. We have metal. We have Not to mention, hardcore, post-hardcore, post-punk, punk. Yeah. We have so many different things that are happening right now. Yeah. It's hard to look at all of these um, eclectic things as just rock music. Right. And I think, like you said, there's just there's too, so much to consider. So I, I get, get the point here is to, to make is that if there's an album that ends up on this list... That or that doesn't end up on this list, rather, and you feel it was left out, it's possible we just didn't count it because we didn't consider it a rock album. And our reasons may not be totally clear, but we tried to 
put a line in the sand. So, for example, one album you won't see on here is Youth Lagoon's first album, The Year of Hibernation. That's an album that would maybe be near the top for Yushan especially, but we determined that it just it sort of falls outside the, the realm of, of rock. It feels almost like more like producer-ish bedroom pop music. Yeah, it, yeah. there's some there's more like electronic elements to it or keyboards right. to it, so that's partly why we left it off. Another band is like Animal Collective. So like you look at them and they had Centipede Hertz and Painting With come out this, this decade. And so I don't know if we would have considered those anyways because they weren't like my favorite records. Um, but uh, those we also sort of eliminated from the running because while those are Animal Collective is a band some might even call them a rock band those albums especially are sort of fall outside those lines so we hope that it's defined enough that's the hope yeah and we also didn't want to include just straight up singer songwriter kind of folk artists as well so tallest man on earth we we didn't include in this even though you know he has a full band now and could be considered uh, you know, a, a rock act, as well as Sufjan Stevens. You yeah. know, we thought both of them felt more into the I'm a solo singer-songwriter kind of uh, artist, so we left them off. And I think, to be fair, we we had one slip-up. We have one exception on the list who you could say the album is more of a singer-songwriter thing, but the artist's roots are more in rock anyways, so I don't know. It's, yeah. it's it, Like we said, it's tough to define, but we did our best, and I think we have a, a solid list here of what we think are the best rock records of the last uh, five and a half years here. Yeah, so, you know, just in general, I think rock music really diverse in terms of sounds, and that's exemplified by the artists that ended up on our list. You know, we have people like The National, who are kind of that classic indie rock sound. Yeah. You know, same with Arcade Fire. And then you start trending into people like Modern Baseball or Titus Andronicus or Japan Droids who are more of that like pop punk or just straight punk sound as well. So you're getting a lot of diverse sounds here. Right, right. Uh, which I think is a real testament to where we're at in 2016. For example, we had albums from bands like Deer Hunter and Radiohead make it onto this list, and also, which are like sort of out there, more electronic elements. Um, more experimental sounding, and then we have albums that are as rootsy as like a Fleet Foxes album, and we'll get into those or some of them on this podcast. But um, yeah, it's very varied, and it's interesting to think because I think there's a clearer definition for what hip hop is, mm-hmm. uh, and I think there's a clearer definition for like what R and B is, say even as opposed to hip hop. And that's the interesting thing is that if you look in those realms, like say hip hop and uh, R and B were in the rock umbrella. Like they would just be considered part of the same family, but if you those have better sort of defined lines over in like sort of the soul, like even that soul funk R and B rap, that you start to see some some of that mixed together. But I feel like the lines are pretty well drawn. And do you think we need to rebrand what rock music is now? Does it need a more clear definition? I think I think it obviously does, based on our difficulty in being able to describe it. But you know, this is something that I you know I keep mentioning the Celebration Rock podcast. But they mentioned like a Taylor Swift, where twenty years ago you'd be like, oh, that's rock music because it's a singer with a guitar and like a band singing like pop songs. Like that's that's rock music. We look at that as like pop now or yeah like so i th- i think our view of what rock is has become so distorted it sounds like we need to revamp and just someone needs to come out and give us a definition well if you're going to revamp it and come out with a new definition it depends who it would actually help and i think the only people it would really help are nerds like us is <laughs> yeah. people like us who are like searching for these lines because if you time and time again if you talk to an artist i think even cam when he was on the podcast from sorority noise when he we asked him 
he kind of most artists don't care to do it. It's not really. It, 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 I think, sort of pulls some of the meaning out of it for them to too clearly label themselves a certain genre. It's important to some listeners. It's important to some writers and, and, and critics. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, maybe – I don't know how you'd redefine it. I really don't. I don't either. I think Cam also mentioned the term. He's like, can we just call it alternative rock? Like, yeah. is that okay? I, I mean, I think that's what you could label almost – all of these albums on yeah. here as just alternative rock. So maybe that's just the definition. We maybe that's with. what this is. This is now changing to yeah. the, to the <laughs> top 25 or however many we're doing alternative um, rock albums. Yeah, so that's a, that's a great transition into actually discussing the list. So on the Level 4 Media website, we are actually going to be posting our top 25 countdown of the best records, of the best rock records of the 2010s. On this podcast in particular, we're just going to be talking about 10 of those records. Yeah. Um, so if you want the full list, and if you want kind of a quick write-up on each of those, check out level4media.net. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, at uh, level4 underscore media, to be able to uh, see when that post goes live. Another thing to note before we get into it is that um, the way we went about ranking these was through, uh, we put together a spreadsheet with different criteria and uh, excuse me, and we um, rated each of these albums on different criteria, just to us in our own like opinions. Um, and from that, we came up with an aggregate score for each of us, and then we averaged those scores. And uh, those aggregate aggregate scores <laughs> are how we ranked. It's the same way we did our top albums of 2015 podcast and ranking if you listen to that in if you're a sane person you probably didn't <laughs> it was like three hours of of just 2015 music talk when we didn't really know what we were doing yeah we were just getting our just cutting our teeth just in, getting in our sea legs yeah um so yeah we're gonna jump into the countdown right around number uh 13 right now and we're gonna count it down to number one yeah because we're gonna talk about 10 of these yeah 10 from the top 13 so coming in at number 13 jake is Titus Andronicus with The Monitor. So I'm I'm all in on this album right now. So, Sean, you've been in on it for a while, uh, maybe a couple months at this point. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, Titus Andronicus, how to define this band? Kind of, they're a punk band. That, they, that much we know from New Jersey. Yep, they're a punk band from New Jersey. They This record, The Monitor in general, is basically a kind of a concept album about the Civil War and the lead singer-songwriter's life. Uh, It's really, really cool. So you have interspersed throughout, you have, like, clips of, like, people talking from the Civil War. One in particular that it's right at the beginning, and it gives, borderline gives me chills every time, is when they're like, no one could by force take a drink from the Ohio (laughs) River. Yes, yes. Dude, that is a really cool line. And so, yeah, like you said, it's like this concept album. Um, combining the themes like Civil War as a, as a theme with is it his life or is it a breakup or is do you know more it's about his the life yeah so what ended up happening in what was uh, the influence for this album was I forget the lead singer's name off the top of my head but he moved to Massachusetts uh, from New Jersey and basically uh, when he was there he you know he he, he went through I, I think he might have gone through a breakup he was he was you know pretty depressed he was not having a good time and there's lyrics interspersed throughout this this album that kind of reflect that you know there's a line um, from theme from cheers where he says give me anything but another year in exile yeah um, it's Patrick he, Stickles by pa- the way. Patrick Stickles yeah that's, that's the right name of the, uh... um, you know and he's talking about a lot of the specific 
Um, you know, he he says, "Give me like a a, a cruel New England winner," and like all of these things yeah. about like I'm in this place and it's terrible, right. and I just want to be back in New Jersey. The the cool thing about this album, New Jersey references aside, is it does have a feel of like a modern take, a modern punk take on a Heartland rock album, like a Bruce Springsteen, maybe a John Mellencamp, if that's your if that's what you're uh, into, but. Um, it's just really cool, and I think on first listen, even on second listen, it can be for the average punk fan or for just the average rock fan today, a little, it's almost like a little too earnest. It's almost like a little overbearing, and it's like, because you're expecting it to be super sarcastic, and but it, it actually is like very sincere and embraces themes of Americana really closely. Like, there's all these references to the 84, the highways driving mm-hmm. uh, back, I assume, from New Jersey. I know 84 runs through Pennsylvania, right? It might, yeah, it might be. Um, yeah. And like you said, like the New England winter stuff. And I think it's interesting pairing that and with the themes of the Civil War and it's um, the idea of, like, that part specifically of the U.S., like the, the parts of the country that were entrenched in that, like, struggle – are the areas he's talking about? I mean, and further south, but yeah. obviously it's like it's like the oldest parts of America, and you do get this vibe. It's to me, it's like a modern Americana album. I think you nailed it with Bruce Springsteen. He actually has like Bruce Springsteen references. Oh, yeah. throughout this album, just straight up name drops. Yeah, name drops Bruce. Um, and I mean, obviously, if you're a musician from New Jersey, I'm sure he's a huge influence sure. on you. A lot of the same themes. This is a punk. Bruce Springsteen album, basically, yeah. which is one of the reasons why I love it so much. Also, this isn't just a strictly punk aesthetic, and this is one of the things I had mentioned before with a lot of the different sounds and instruments that are being brought in. There's horns throughout this album that are really, really nice. Um, you know, I think there's some strings uh, throughout as well. Well, and just in terms of song structure, like if you look at what's it called, Titus Andronicus Forever, yep. the second track, it's basically like this refrain, it's just the enemy is everywhere, and it's basically just written in this like basic 1-4-5 blues progression. It sounds like uh, something that could almost be off of like Exile on Main Street or something, yeah. except the chanting. You know what it actually reminds me of in a weird way, even though it's a better album that came out before this? It reminds me of that Deer Tick album I'm forgetting what it is. Is it Divine Providence? Divine Providence. Yeah. Which is like a mixed album at best, but has a lot of those. It's basically just like straight up bluesy rock. And I think that is what for me at first was like initially off putting is I was expecting this like modern sounding punk record. It it really doesn't sound modern. It's modern in that it's kind of this combination of all these themes. It's fresh, but it doesn't sound like maybe what you're expecting from a punk or definitely not an emo record. Mm -mm. No, and one of the things I love about this album is it feels really personal. Uh, Well, obviously because of the subject matter. However, I think it's really easy for the listener to identify with certain parts of this record and to really relate to what, you know, is being sung about or, or the themes that are on here. I, I There's kind of like this bookended feel with Titus Andronicus Forever and then that it gets brought back later, um, you know, because it's funny, the, the second track is called Titus Andronicus Forever and then the song 
that it comes back in. It's just called And Ever. The second to last track. And yeah. I think one last thing I want to mention before we wrap up, which we probably should. I feel like we're going to I go know. On. We're just really we're, excited about Titus. We're going to go on and on about this record and, and some others, but the last track on this, the Battle of Hampton Roads, is 14 minutes long. And the thing is, is like that's the longest on the album, but it's not by like an absolutely astronomical amount. There's a couple eight to nine minute songs on here. So this is an album that, like, in every way is kind of epic in scope, and it's it's grand in its conception and, like, what it's trying to do in pairing the story of this, of, um, I forget, is it Patrick Stickles, I think, yep. life with the Civil War themes, and it I think it really does it really well. So full transparency, I'm on, like, my fourth, fifth listen of this album. Um, on my last, on my most recent listen to it, though, it really clicked. It, like, totally, like, I'm all in on it, and I'm very excited to listen again. Yeah, great record. Um, I've been living with it, like Jake said, for a few months now. I've listened to it a lot, yeah. um, and it has shot up my rankings as, as a favorite album. Um, so coming in at number 12 on our countdown is The Suburbs by Arcade Fire. This is an album that came out in 2010. Um, it's been written about and talked about extensively since then. Yeah. I don't know how much more we can really even add to it other than, you know, it's one of my favorite records of all time. Uh, I know Jake really enjoys it as well. It's probably Arcade Fire's best work. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And speaking of concept albums and long albums and albums with something to say, this is another one of those if you enjoy an album like that. Um Interesting enough, neither of these albums fall into our hot zone of 35 no. to 45 minutes. Not even close. But these are like those special outlier albums. Basically, we weren't going to comment a whole lot more on the suburbs. It, it's been out now since 2010, right? So it's, well, it's so, out, so it, is the monitor. Right. But, but we're just really excited but, about the monitor. No, but this is the thing. To me, Arcade Fire has become probably in the conversation for top three most famous indie rock bands ever. Titus Andronicus has not received that same amount of, of fame. I feel like there's been a lot written about the suburbs. An album like The Monitor, which you could argue is really just as interesting and just as grand in scope, has I don't it hasn't been discussed as much to my knowledge. I mean, I certainly didn't see it a lot in the culture or anything. Um, but The Suburbs has been covered a lot, and I don't think there's a whole lot of reason for us to go into it in great depth. No. I mean, if you like Arcade Fire, you'll definitely love this album if you yeah. haven't already heard it. Yep. Um, yeah, that's that's a great point. So coming in at number 11 is You're Gonna Miss It All by Modern Baseball. Uh, their 2014 release was their second album. They have a third album coming out pretty soon, which we are both really excited for. I couldn't be more excited for Holy Ghost. And out. let me just give you a quick snapshot of, of the relationship Jake and I have with this album. We've gotten into it recently. We went to a Celtics game last week. On the drive home, we put on You're Gonna Miss It All. I think we sang along to every single song on this album and just it was one of the most fun listening experiences that I've had in a car with like anything. Yeah, because what happened was we were like driving back together from the Celtics game and uh, it's about an hour drive, a little less, 45 minutes. And so we were talking and I was like, oh, okay, I'll put, put on some music. We can talk during this. And as soon as the music came in, so the, Modern Baseball is a pop punk, emo-influenced pop punk band. And this album is just poppy catchy song after poppy catchy song it's like so great and and they're just like basically every song is a highlight so the, i have a longer story with modern baseball i got into just one song off this album it's the most popular it's called your graduation super catchy pop punk banger uh i got into that a few years ago never really delved into the whole album and in recent years or this past year i've really started digging into it 
and it's I mean clearly it's in our top almost top ten of of albums of, for the past five six years. So it's clearly risen pretty high. I mean the songwriting on here is great. These are this is a young band. They're still going to college at Drexel, I think. Yep. And the songwriting on here, the two uh, lead singers and songwriters, uh, Jake Ewald and Brandon Lukens, are really, really talented young songwriters. Very, very talented. Their ability to just cram hook after hook into each one of these songs, their extremely smart and clever wordplay, which sometimes borders on like a little too smart, right. is amazing. It's very listenable. You can sing along to it really easily. I defy you to not sing along when your graduation starts. Yeah. It's impossible. Um, one of the other things I like is they, they're talking about really personal and specific things. So I think this is a theme that you'll see throughout with a lot of these albums is the subject matter is you know just as important as the music itself. I mean, on The Monitor, that was definitely the case. And on, on You're Gonna Miss It All, that's definitely the case as well. They're talking about you know what it's like to be a young adult, to start to figure out what you're doing with your life and who you are and how that's affecting your relationships with other people and just you know, what it means to, to grow up, really. Which I think for especially people our age, Jake, or even people who are older, I think you can really relate to that feeling and understanding what that's like. And even if you're not going through that those things, like maybe we are, you can at least look back and you can remember, hey, that is something that I did go through and I can yeah. still relate to a lot of these feelings. This is a really, really good college album. And I wish I listened to it more when I was in college. I feel like I would have related to it even more than I am now. Uh, the thing about this album that I, it, it's just occurring to me is that the first two entries that we discussed, Titus Andronicus and Arcade Fire, those are both albums that are absolutely immense in scope and in terms of like what they're trying to do with it. This is an album of, of intimate detail and like it's it, some specific, specific in-jokes and references. Um, and the thing is, like even if though we might not while listening, understand exactly what they're referencing at all times because it's clearly a personal reference or a personal lyric. Just knowing it's that intimate and understanding that it's like you you get it. You're like, oh, that's that's a joke they're making or that's something they're referencing about when they did this or that or whatever. And it just feels very intimate. It feels like they're letting you in, which is, I, I think, a pretty incredible accomplishment for a band whose members are like all 22. I would completely agree. And there's, there's certain lyrics. I, I think back to like Rock Bottom where he's just like at this girl's house. He's drunk. He's got the spins. Yeah. He's talking about like text messages he's getting. He's talking about like, you know, there's there's no reason I should leave your bed tomorrow. Like we'll 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 watch Planet Earth and brainstorm tattoos. Yeah. Like that's it's that kind of personal detail that makes this album really really great. Um, and just it resonates emotionally. Yeah, and so the lyrics, like you said, are clever. They're funny, but the seriously, the melodies on this thing are so. <laughs> Infectious. <laughs> They're next level. It's it's like it's incredibly. It's so hard to get these songs out of your <laughs> yes. head. It's yes. like it's like uh, I don't even know what to, to compare. It's a definition of pop punk, but it's like to me, it's like quirkier and and it the melodies are more interesting and like distinctive than what a lot of pop punk does. I feel like I haven't heard this before. If that makes sense, I haven't. Not to this extent. Um, like I haven't heard a band that sounds just like them and that might sound I don't listen to a lot of emo I don't listen to a lot of pop punk yet so that might sound out of school but but and that's that would probably be a fair criticism of that but the thing is is like I'm not like thinking about Green Day or like Blink-182 when I hear this it's not pop punk in that sense it's a kind of a new school of pop punk it is yeah I, I think that's probably 
a, gr a great place to leave it with them. Actually, I'm really excited to see what they do with their next album. I wouldn't be surprised if if their if their next record, which comes out in May, ends up in our top ten. At, you know, down the road, it might eclipse this album. It, yeah, it Based might. on what I heard out from the EP, yeah. which is worth listening as well. Absolutely, and I don't remember the title because it's madness. It's, uh, it's a, uh, the perfect cast. The perfect cast EP. Basically. Mobo presents the perfect cast EP. Yep. Some other part. Basically, check out their whole discography. Yeah. You can't go wrong. It's really, really good. Uh, we also have a top ten modern baseball list of songs on level4media.net. So worth check that out, out if you're interested. Here, I'll intro the next one. Sure. That. So this is coming in at number, this would be 10, right? Yep. Number 10, um, a band that is in similar circles with modern baseball, but kind of explores a whole different side of, of what they're doing. This is The World is a Beautiful Place, and I Am No Longer Afraid to Die, and their album that came out last year, Harmlessness. So what I mean when I say they explore the other end of that emo spectrum is that you could argue modern baseball are kind of minimalists and like precise, you know what I mean? They hone in on the precise, the detailed, the quirky little funny things. To me, the world's a beautiful place are maximalists. They're like all about the, like it's huge sweeping sound. They have it's I mean it's it's evidenced by their band side. They have like nine members. Not only do they have nine members, but their name is like insanely long. It's like it, a Charles Dickens it sentence. It doesn't fit on anything. And I think if you want to talk about sweeping epic proportions like we mentioned with uh, Arcade Fire and Titus Andronicus this is like the emo version of that epic scope they're talking about everything from like dealing with mental health issues to talking about Diana the Hunter who uh, yeah. killed like bus drivers who like assaulted women yeah. in Mexico and go ahead oh I was just saying this is another album where seriously Melody and Hooks steal the sort of the day like it's the to me, my favorite, the most uh, resounding part of this album is just the, the the sheer melodies they're laying down. So the previous The World is a Beautiful Place album, I listened to a couple times, and it's definitely less focused on strictly melody and strictly, like, catchiness. This album is just... And the thing is, it, the hooks on this album are just, like you said, epic. If you listen to January 10th, 2014, um, or if you listen to I Can Be Afraid of Anything... Just like the what they're doing vocally is so interesting. The harmonies, it's so big. It just sounds like everything about it sounds big and sweeping and like, ep like epic is such an overused word, but this, it really is like an epic album it in is, sound. And I would say that I can be afraid of anything is up there for top five rock songs of the decade so far. Actually, yeah. it's it's a seven minute song that just builds and builds and builds until it kind of flows out into this beautiful like melodic harmonies towards the end climax yeah there's it's, a climax and then there's yeah. if there's one song to listen to from this album or really from this list yeah. it's i can be afraid of anything by by world is a beautiful place and i feel like there's a way in which this album could be intimidating to a listener who's never heard like really listened to this band because or this type of music right but the thing is is i would have to say that again being someone who's starting to dip my my toe into emo music, this is an incredibly accessible album. Like it's, to me, it, it, the, the just the the poppiness of this thing—it's so immediately catchy, and it, it just resonated with me immediately. If you're a rock music fan, I really can't see a reason why you wouldn't like it. Totally agree. Check it out, everybody. Um, number nine, number nine, 
Nice number nine, <laughs> Revolution Nine Beatles reference for Jake there. Yeah, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get shit for this now because Sean thinks <laughs> it's my favorite song of all time. It's top five. Uh, number nine on our list is Helplessness Blues by Fleet Foxes. So, what is interesting about this is this doesn't necessarily fall into the standard rock albums that we've been talking about so far. This has more of a folk influence to it. Um, a lot of acoustic guitars, a lot of um, you know, not so much. It's a softer side. Distorted guitars. Yeah, it's it's definitely more folky, but softer. Here's, here's the thing, like this album and the way it's performed and the way they play live, Fleet Foxes. Uh, it's they play in, as a band. It's a full band. It's a five member band, I think, or not anymore. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah. And uh, so they play as a rock band. They play out, and I think the sound on this album is lush and full enough to be. I could consider it a rock band. And yeah. this is one where it's like we didn't know totally where to draw the line. Yeah, and I think if you look at songs like Grown Ocean or you look at um, The Shrine in yeah. Argument, like those are rock songs. Those sure. have a big, full sound to them. They do. Um, you know, maybe songs like Montezuma, which is the opener, you know, that's more just kind of an acoustic guitar track. Right. I, I think this is still rock music, though, and I think it does a really great job on the margins of rock music in being that, you know what, Led Zeppelin still had a lot of acoustic songs. Yeah, Led Zeppelin had Going to California. Y- yeah. And songs like that. Like, those are essentially folk songs. And I mean, I, okay, so the extremes of Led Zeppelin went way more towards rock than Fleet Foxes ever will. But, and the other thing is that if you look at Fleet Foxes' uh, sort of trajectory as a band, to me this is definitely the more rock album of the two they released. So they had Fleet Foxes, their their first album come out, I think, 2008. Yep. Um, and that is, to me, a more, it's like a chamber folk. It's like a folk. Baroque folk yeah, pop more album. clearly folk. Yeah. And then you move into Helplessness Blues, and while they're still exploring folk themes, to me they're doing it through the lens of a rock, a, more, a truer rock band that like will play it out live as a rock band. And the thing is, is I think the reason this album makes it this high on our list is it's just so consistently good. Like both albums Fleet Foxes has put out, just the songs on this thing are great. Yeah, and I think this one hasn't totally aged as well as it could have, uh, or should actually. I will say, I don't think people... Uh, bring up Helplessness Blues as an all-time great record, not even rock record, just record of the 2010s. It, it seems like it's fallen through the cracks a little bit. I think the reason for that, and we've discussed this many times, is that if you look at Fleet Foxes, their first album, which it falls into last decade, but there was a mystique about where this band was coming from. There was very little released about them in terms of press, or like it was hard to find information, and it just sounded like they were these like wood harpies that like converged in the woods and just like sang in harmony for and someone happened to record it and it just someone and then someone else stumbled upon this recording somewhere in the deep in the woods of the pacific northwest and that's where that album came to be a lot of that mystery was was peeled back for the second album it was because oh now they have a press photo and they have um you know a media cycle with their new album release and we saw them live and they're just a regular band so i think yeah i think some of that mystique was was torn back we actually mentioned it last week with animal collective where i think it was kind of the same thing where they used to have this this mysteriousness about them 
um, and that's kind of gone away a little bit. And I do think that can seep into people's influences of a band and what they think of certain records right. by that band. Right, but I mean, I think if you look at Helplessness Blues, you start with Montezuma, then you go to Bedouin Dress, then Sim Salabim. I mean, just as you work your way through the tracks, there's not a miss on the whole thing. And that's the thing is, like you said, I actually could agree with you that for me it hasn't aged as well as it could. I rarely revisit it at this point. I mean, it's been out five years. I'm really itching for some new Fleet Foxes at this point. I don't think we're going to get it. We might not. Who knows? Well, what's the status? So, Robin. Status? What am I, British? The <laughs> this, is, this is the Jordan flu game talking. Yeah, there's a couple weird things in here, but there might be some transcendent moments, hopefully. <laughs> so, Robin Pecknold, the lead singer and songwriter, he ended up going back to college right. after they, they toured this record. Um, you know, uh, Father John Misty, Josh Tillman, he was the drummer in the band. He broke off. He's been doing his own thing for a while. But um, I have to think that Fleet Foxes can survive without mm-hmm. him as the drummer. Yes, they can. However, Robin Pecknold's been working on solo material. Okay. Um, he's actually performing all of this solo material when he opens for... I forget who he's opening for, Okay, but he's performing all new solo material. So you just think Fleet Foxes So I think done. what we're getting in terms of new Fleet Foxes, is new Robin Pecknold solo You know what's stuff. In- interesting is that there's a chance that like maybe they reunite, and at that point it'll have been like 10 years. It's already 2016. This album came out in 2011. It could be like 2021, and Fleet Foxes releases their third, third album, yep. like like My Bloody Valentine did no, a couple actually years ago. really, really cool. And it's like a while down the road, and younger fans getting into indie music at the time are like, who's this Fleet Foxes band? And they look them up, they're like, oh, these guys are all in their 40s. I don't know if I'm going to get into it. But fans like us are all pumped. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, more yes, Fleet Foxes. Yes. Uh, I really hope that happens. I do too. And needless to say, I, mean, I think we can move on from this one, but it's yeah. definitely worth a listen. It is. Everybody check this one out, um, especially if you like folk music. What do we have so next? So coming in at number eight is basically the complete opposite of Helpless is Blues. And this is Celebration Rock by Japan Droids. Um, so, Jake, you and I both really got into this record when it came out in 2012, So over, over that summer. Here's the real story, is that it came out, there was a lot of buzz around it, there were a lot of good reviews about it. We both started listening. You immediately, I think, took to it. I loved it. I did not immediately take to it. I think some of the over-the-top like sort of elements of this album it's like it, again it's very earnest it's like it's like over the top hard rock it's not even really quite punk it's more like just straight high octane rock and so we went to a vacation house over one summer uh and on playlists probably all the songs on this or five a six of, of the eight songs were featured heavily on uh the playlist that sean was playing throughout this trip and so you know, throughout the trip, we were drinking, we're having fun, we're partying, and this album is like the perfect, perfect soundtrack for that. It made me fall in love with it forever because I think I needed context. I didn't want to be so. This isn't an album that I want to like get into laying on my bed or like typing away at my laptop. Nope. This is an album you should that should be listened to while you're get up to no good and like <laughs> starting trouble or like. You know what I mean? Like drinking with friends. So this, you're absolutely right. This is an album that I think did what Beach Slang did this past year where they started to make really sincere rock music that was all about we're young, we're alive, we're drinking, we're just having fun. And I think there was a big hole 
in term in, in rock music in terms of those themes and yeah. and what and what they were singing about. And I think this came along at a perfect time in both of our lives uh, where we needed an album like that. It resonated really well just at the time we were. And this, I think, is always going to be one where I associate with that specific summer, with that specific time in my life, and it's yeah. always just going to mean a lot to me. Well, the thing about it, too, is that it, if you look at, so 2011, you have that Fleet Foxes album come out, and I feel like there wasn't a lot moving into 2012, which is the year Celebration Rock came out, that was like this. There was definitely, people were still going off and, and doing punk, you know, like recording punk music, recording rock music, but... Celebration Rock, I think, and what Japan Droids did, it was this, like, just propulsive, energetic burst of, of energy. I think what it did, it brought, like, it, it's like, it's just guitar and drums, but they're not doing it in a way like the White Stripes do it. They're not doing it in a way that, like, the Black Keys do it, where it's just... It's very blues influence. This is definitely like more towards a punkish sound, and it's just it, it's like garage rock, but but just infused with so much energy. And these guys rip the entire time. They're just going yeah. full throttle. I I had the privilege to see them live that following fall in Boston, and to this day they put on one of the best shows that I've ever been to. And I can't wait for them to come out with a new album and tour again, yeah. so I can go see them. Um, is it is it the house that heaven built? Where I read that's one of the tracks off the album. Where I read that the lead singer and I'm forgetting his name. Do you know his name? I don't remember. I'm forgetting off the top his name. He like he can't technically sing it. Like the like the chorus is oh, too high yes. for his voice. But and that, that's what this album's all about. It's like more myth than it is album because he powers through it and delivers like this incredible like just aggressive vocal performance on it it's it's oh it's, great. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because it was actually pretty clear live that he couldn't hit those notes especially it was the last night of their tour yeah. and like he was like i my voice is done it's shot i can't do it right. but it was still amazing because everyone in the crowd is singing along that yeah. chorus of the uh 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 uh, uh or whatever yeah, it is yeah, i right. can't do it um but great great album if you want one that is just like pure energy pure energy yeah that's that's the best way to put it um, I'm so, gonna blow my nose. Excuse so me. Jordan me. flu game, everybody. So I'm on the bench right now with my head <laughs> in my knees. He's sipping on some Gatorade. Oh, it's, it's like the end of the third quarter. Yeah. <laughs> He's got one more push. Yeah, left I got one more now. push left. Then I'm gonna sleep for 40 hours. <laughs> um, so coming in at number seven is "Trouble Will Find Me" by The National. So we're gonna talk a lot about The National a little bit later on in the countdown. So we didn't want to go into too much detail on this one, yeah. but. Um, this this record came out in 2013. It's the Nationals' newest album. It's just the National doing national things, yeah, and it's you, great. If you like the National, if you've listened to any of their uh, catalog and haven't had the chance to listen to this, which is their most recent album, um, definitely, definitely worth it. Like a lot of Matt Berninger doing like writing lyrics and little melodies, like he does so well, and the band just backing it up with mm-hmm. their. They have a really distinctive sound, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll get more into it, and I'll intro the next one. How's that? So we have in at number six, um, Dive, with their album Ocean. So Dive is a band who just this year came out with the long-awaited follow-up to Ocean. Um, is the what is it? Is the Azar? Mm-hmm. I thought I got that wrong because it's pure gibberish. <laughs> it's madness. Um, so Ocean came out that same summer, right? Twenty twelve. 
big Summer in, in rock music does completely different things than what Japan Droids is doing with Celebration Rock. So on Ocean, uh, Zach Cole Smith, who's kind of the, the lead singer-songwriter on this, is doing a really cool shoegaze, dream pop sound yeah. here. And he's kind of reinventing what can be done with guitar in terms of like solos and like melodies he's doing with the actual guitar itself yep. it's got this really cool aquatic sound to it a lot does. of the songs the name ocean is is and dive dive and ocean are perfect names for the sound of this album this album came out during the summer and right or around yeah, the yep. summer that's at least yep, what was, i got into it, it was around yeah to it was me it was like the perfect album for that because it does. It has that reverb, drenched, sort of echoey, aquatic-sounding guitar tones all throughout it. And it's really an interesting album because it's driven more by melody and f- overall feel than it is by lyrics. I think with Is The Is Are, uh, Zach Cole Smith got more into writing some serious lyrics and, and making lyrics a focal point. Still, the aesthetic is around the same. On this album... Uh, I don't really think lyrics are at all the focus. They are 100% the background and just play as another piece of the guitar sound and melody. It's like another instrument. It's another layer. That's what it is. This is like a very layered, it's a really pleasant sounding album. It's really nice to pop on. It's it's relaxing, actually. It is. Think My Bloody Valentine, uh, Loveless, except not nearly as aggressive. Think that same idea of layers, though, coming in throughout this. A little bit more defined in what those layers are like you can it's not just a wall of guitar hitting you over the head you can actually pick out like that's the lead guitar putting down a really nice like lick or solo or something like that to me it's it's like what you said Sean more like I think the emphasis on this album in terms of like what really draws your attention is not so much what he's doing vocally it's what he's doing with the guitar the guitar the lead guitar on this which I think he plays that Cole Smith uh, is the main melody that you are sort of drawn into. That's what is interesting about this album is that it does that dream pop sort of shoegazy sound in, in a similar vein to like a, what a real estate does or mm-hmm. something like that. But rather than making the focal point, the lyrics and the vocals, those are there. But to me, the, the lead guitar is really what's driving this. Absolutely it is. And it's not intricate. So don't go into this expecting oh, no. like Steve Vai or Joe <laughs> Satriani or like no. some, you know, buckethead. It's, it's it's nice melodic guitar. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it, it's reverb drenched. And it's something you don't see a ton of anymore. You did mention real estate and they are probably a contemporary and a peer in that regard. But you just don't get a guitar focused album anymore. Yeah, I think well, that's one of the reasons why this ranks so high for me. Yeah, I I could agree. We're like we're guitar and uh, is like totally the focal point. No, I can agree. And for a lot of bands, um, guitar is like it's just a part of the mix. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a part of, and you don't hear many guitar solos. And what's interesting about this album is that it almost is an album of guitar solos, but not in the way you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. It's not like a Zeppelin, Jimmy Page, or David Gilmore from Pink Floyd solo, where it's all written out and it's like the middle section of a song. It's like has a very fluid feel. Oh, and and, uh, yeah, fluid is a perfect word, and it goes back to this aquatic dive ocean feel. Everything just flows throughout this album. It's very very vibey. Like, you're just gonna... This is one that you can just kind of sit down with, put on in the background, yeah. and just, like, relax to. Exactly. And it can float in and out of your consciousness. If Titus Andronicus and Arcade Fire... 
if those albums that we that we mentioned are ones you should pay attention to, like very specifically, this is one you should vibe to and let it just sort of wash over you. Yep. And let it like ha- this album takes it I mean, for me. It was like pretty immediate, but let it you know take some time with it. Listen to it a few times and mm-hmm. let it just sort of wash mm-hmm. over. Yep, absolutely. So we are into our top five right now. We sure. Um, are. So coming in at five and actually at number four. And this is interesting. That this is how it ended up are a pair of Vampire Weekend albums. So, number five, uh, we have Contra, and then coming in at number four, we have Modern Vampires of the City. Contra barely, barely sneaks into this decade. That's right. I'm glad it does. January 2010, that yeah, album came out. The, the very dawn of the decade. So, with Contra, I think this is a perfect example of rock music starting to turn into something that is hard to define. Exactly. Um, you know, you have songs like holiday or uh, cousins that are still guitar based um, and are drawing on some of the same riffs that were happening on a song like a punk from their debut album however you get into songs like giving up the gun and <laughs> diplomat son that have these like kind of um, like beat they're like driven. beat driven yeah, yeah and that can be uh, directly attributed to to our boy Rostam, who we talked about a few episodes ago, who actually has left the band. Yeah. But this is an album, like I said, that starts to bl- blur the lines between what rock music is and I think is a perfect example of this hard descriptor of what rock music is in this decade. Right, and I feel like the reason we get... I feel fine about including it is like, what are we going to call Vampire Weekend if not a rock band? They're, That's the thing. Yeah. It's like they... They're a rock band to me. And actually, they're as much of a rock band as anyone right now. Like, if you sure. were to say who are the most popular rock bands right now, you'd be like, oh, Arcade Fire, Black Keys, Vampire Weekend. Right. Like, those are the people you'd say. <laughs> well, that just goes to show, I mean, that's how much rock changes, though. Like, if you ask people in the 60s who their favorite rock band is, it's going to be a very different sounding band than if they answered 20 years later in the 80s. It just the sounds change. Like, the cars don't sound like Nirvana, who don't sound like the Beatles, who don't sound like Vampire Weekend. I mean, it's just, it's, it's an amorphous thing, and there's a lot of definitions. The thing that sticks out to me on Contra is Vampire Weekend's Ezra Koenig and Rostam Batmangalij. Uh, I, I Nailed it. The other two members have influence as well. Their very unique sense of blending genre, they blend in like elements of reggae, elements of honestly a little bit of rap with auto-tune stuff on songs like California English. They mix in some pure like surf rock elements like Cousins you mentioned, which is a similar sound to what they did on like A-Punk where it, it seems like surf rock influenced. And what Vampire Weekend does, and, and then some of the like Afro rock influenced stuff like Paul Simon, Graceland stuff. Um, that was more of an influence on their first album, I think, mm-hmm. uh, which is just called Vampire Weekend, I mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Contra is an even more sort of uh, hard-to-perceive-and-break-apart blend of those sounds. I think this is where, as enjoyable and great as the Vampire Weekend's first album is, to me this is where they really start to define what they are as a band, like yeah. who they're going to be. I feel like with Vampire Weekend, they're having some fun and they happen to record a really great album doing it, here, I think they're defining more of what they truly sound like themselves, what their voice is. And I think if you look at modern vampires of the city, they're taking that confidence and they're taking that understanding of who they are, yeah. and they're going into full-blown confidence mode of, yeah. th- like, this is it. This is our... Th- so far, in my opinion, that's by far their best album. Right. Um, the things that they're doing on there, when you look at songs like Step, 
Um, you know, when you look at um, Hannah Hunt, you know, yeah. some of these songs are taking a lot of the same elements that were on the first two records yeah. and just going all the way with them. Well, it's it's all quintessentially Vampire Weekend when you look at modern modern vampires. Um, Great album name, by the way. Yeah, it is. Such a cool album name. I love that they switch, they mix vampires in there. I don't know why that seems like a cool move to me. But this is, like I said, it, there's so many influences. And most bands couldn't pull it off in a way that seems organic like Vampire Weekend does. So take a song like uh, Diane Young, which is like a more simple, straight-ahead sort of rock song. Obviously, they mix in all kinds of crazy sounds and production from Rostam. But then you have a song like Hannah Hunt, which in the hands of another band being a soft song, it almost has like, not quite folk, but it's like singer-songwritery. And the production is there again. But and you look at a song like Worship You or, or Yahe, which have these like Middle Eastern flares mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. these really interesting flourishes of like these quirky melodies and these quirky sounds and weird backup vocals. I, they blend it so well though. I like. I don't know. There's no band quite like Vampire Weekend. To me, it totally makes sense why they have become sort of the poster boys for what, like, or what, among the poster boys for what indie rock is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, there's not really many bands that sound like like this. No, there's not. They're not a good indicator of what indie rock is. You you hear and about I th- them? I think that's that gets to the point of what is indie rock and that's what is rock thing. because all of these bands that we mentioned have been really really different. Yeah. Like if you just go back quickly, Dive, Ocean, The National, and yeah. Chipandroids are all three very very different sounding None bands. None of whom sound like all under the umbrella of indie rock. And the funny thing is, is like not to go on too much of a tangent, but you could say that about even genres beneath rock, like sub genres of rock. Like look at grunge. Grunge was sort of a sort of bullshit title that was thrown on bands from just the same area during the same era. But if you listen to a Pearl Jam album, or if you listen to a Nirvana album, or a Soundgarden album, or an Alice in Chains album, those four albums sound very different. All of them distinct from one another. They really don't sound that similar. And so if you're if we're talking just rock, or or even something slightly more specific like indie rock, these sound the sounds are like varied. And so like. Vampire Weekend, I think, is an interesting case where, like, they almost take these disparate elements, all of which aren't rock. You know what I mean? Like, the, a lot of the stuff they, they draw from, it's like Baroque, reggae, dub, Afro, sort of, like, beats and stuff like that, hip-hop, production, and they make it rock in a mm-hmm. weird way, which is, just shows how amorphous the definition actually is. They do, and they knock it out of the park with both these albums. Uh, so Contra coming in at number five and Modern Vampires of the City at number four. So we are officially into our top three here. Um, and number three for us is is a record that we actually talked about in depth in our 2015 yeah. uh, music podcast, and that's I Love You, Honey Bear by Father John Misty. Um, so this is an album that I think has some of the smartest and best <laughs> lyrics of any not even rock album but just any album in general of this decade and i think what we i don't want to get too in the weeds with this because we did talk about it but one of my favorite things about this is it's very relatable uh just as who we are as people um i think we we compare this to kendrick lamar um in in his album to pimp butterfly while it's a fantastic album and an achievement um, it's hard for us to completely relate to it. And I think something like I Love You, Honey Bear, which tackles a lot of the issues that, you know, a middle class white person might be facing, 
Um, I think that's a lot more relatable to us, and that's one of the reasons why I, I really like this album. One point about this album, and it's one that I made on that podcast on our uh, Best of 2015 pod, which you should go listen to if you haven't already. Uh, boost some of those listens since those are low, uh, which with good reason. Um, the my favorite thing about this album is that it's like I think you said this. It's like a concept album about love. It's basically a love album filled with love songs where you see Josh Tillman as the lead singer and as Father John Misty uh, sort of describing and discussing love with all of the cynicism and sarcasm you could imagine and and then sort of coming full circle and understand but he you always get the sense that he understands its importance as well there's he's not just cynical and sarcastic in the way that he makes fun of everything he also has these really endearing earnest moments of like letting people in like I feel like he's letting the listener in and and even though he's this cynic and like doesn't believe in much and sort of thinks love is kind of a farce at the end of the day you get you leave with the feeling that he he totally does sort of believe in it I think that's because of the last track absolutely and yeah I went to the store one day that's right, right where he's like you know what, this is something that is important to me and I need yeah. to just kind of take a chance on it and go for it. And you're right, like, he kind of goes through the rest of this album where he's, like, he's calling people out. He's, like, a lot of this is bullshit. A lot of stuff about life is kind of silly. All things that I think both of us feel and can relate to. But at the same time, deep down, you know, especially in terms of, like, relationships or or love or something like that, while a lot of the fabricated things around it from, you know, media or pop culture kind of don't matter, when you break it down to its essence of your sharing an experience with another person yeah. um, and kind of sharing your life with them and sharing who you are, that is really important. Yeah. And I think the thing, the one last point I want to make, because we said we wouldn't say anything about it, <laughs> no, we've kind of talked about it for a while, is that I think I also said this on that other podcast, is that... There are people who sing about love. There are people who sing sarcastically about that and simply just mock it and, and at like face value. But Father John Misty sort of sings from this like third level of kind of mocking both perspectives while kind of embodying both. It's really it's, interesting. It's genius and one of the reasons why I love this album. It's so smart. It's it's maybe the smartest album on this entire list. In terms of just witty it, lyrics and it, stuff. And just the themes he's attacking and the way that he's doing it. <laughs> um, you want to do number two? Yeah, so number two on our countdown is an album that I'm not sure I know the exact title of. So it's by Bon Iver. The album's title is, I think, Bon Iver, it, it, Bon Iver. Yeah, it's just Bon Iver. Are you sure? Because if you look it up, I think it's like written with that comma and it's called like the title is both. Oh, I thought it was just like his name. Let's I, I'm and gonna, then you, you, either way, it's, bon, it's, it's, bon, it's Bonnie Vare, his second album, which came out in 2011. So this is yeah. See, look, I'm, we're on Wikipedia. Sorry, you can wait a minute. Oh, listeners. you're right. See, like, you're the right, official right. title is Bonnie Vare, comma Bonnie Vare. So this is Bonnie Vare, Bonnie Vare by Bonnie Vare. Yeah, that's. Interesting. Yeah, that's weird. So, um, I actually didn't know that until now, and this is a record that I've spent a ton of time with uh, and own, so that's actually really weird that I didn't realize that. Right, and so this album is Justin Vernon of Bon Iver taking uh, what was on his first album for Emma Forever Ago, basically a straight-up singer-songwriter folk album, 
and basically taking it into strange new places. Very, and, and this is definitely a rock record, but it's unlike any I've ever heard. The sounds on this are truly weird. Yeah, so this is maybe the one on this list that like is the hardest to pin down is just rock because he's doing those singer-songwriter things that he was doing on his debut. He's doing some like electronic stuff on here and some ambient sounds. Yeah. But he's also doing kind of straight ahead rock songs with like towers and stuff and like Holocene. Yeah, it's like a banger. Perth almost sounds like a metal song. Yeah. With the with the crashing guitars. So he's doing a lot here, and I think one of the reasons why this ends up being so high on our list is because he's taking a lot of the things that we just love about music from this decade. And he's putting it all together on one album. Also, Justin Vernon has that infectious falsetto voice that's featured really heavily on Forever Forever Ago. But he also sings on a couple songs here pretty deep. He shows some of his range. And uh, also, the, the sounds he brings in on this, on this album are pretty disparate. There's like, he brings in a whole band, but there's horn sections on here. There's a song in Beth Rest, Beth Rest, that's not how it's pronounced, Beth slash Rest, Glass Track, which sounds like the most schmaltzy, corny 80s ballad you've ever it heard, does. but it's awesome. It I is. love that song. And then you, but and so the sounds on this are pretty diverse because you go from Perth, which is like this sort of distorted guitar driven uh, builder, and then you have songs like uh, Holocene and um, Michigant and stuff like that, which are. You, you can hear more of the singer-songwriter elements coming out, but they're in, they're emboldened by like a full band sound. And then you have Beth Rest, which is like this sort of 80s sound synth song, ballad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just a lot going on here. And, you know, it's interesting to note that this album was the only quote-unquote rock album that Pitchfork has designated as their album of the year. The rest have been R&B, hip-hop, uh, oh, you rap. mean since 2010? Since 2010. Since right. 2010. And I this mean. is this came out what 11? Uh, 2011. Yeah. So this is really their their high water mark in terms of yeah. something other than hip hop or rap, which I think is interesting to note. Um, we should be getting a new album from Bonnie Vare soon. I, I think he went on a bit of a hiatus, but he's yeah. he's writing and recording. Well, and songs. he did that scare tactic thing where like he was like Bonnie Vare may never be a thing anymore. <laughs> right. Well, Youth Lagoon pulled, but it's like we'll still get more of you, Justin Vernon. Yeah, you're still going to be creating music. But basically, uh, I think what makes this album so extraordinary is that it showed the breadth of his abilities as a songwriter and as a composer and just a general producer of music in mm-hmm. general. Uh, because he went from, he kind of blew everyone away with his first album, and then he comes out with this, which is really doing completely different things, and but doing them really, really well. And which Bonnie Eater album do you prefer? This one. Yeah, for me it's this one. This one, pretty and I, easily. And I wonder what most people would say. I don't really know. I think it depends on what you're looking for. Um, if you're more into that just acoustic singer-songwriter guy and his guitar, you're going to like his first album better. If you appreciate a lot of the different sounds that he's going for on this and the more complex arrangements that he's doing, I think you're going to prefer this album. And I, I, I do think it's his his stronger of the two, just hands down across just, the board. In terms of the songs he's writing, too, like, For Emma has great songs. This album has great, great songs. Like, a song like Holocene, Holocene is like 
a really special song. It, it has it just takes the elements of the singer songwriter stuff and like the slowly finger picked guitars, and it builds to just this lush harmony filled, just beautiful song. Maybe the most beautiful song. Yeah. Of this decade. On so an far. album of beautiful songs. An oh, album, and you're yeah. saying of the decade. Of the decade so far. Wow. I, yeah. I would argue. High high praise. And so I, I check out Holocene for anyone who wants just like a heart wrenching, beautiful song. And also like that I think a song like Holocene and a song like Michigant, those would be solid crossovers. Like if you liked Forever Forever yes. ago, check those out. Maybe this album is for you after all. That's true. So we're moving into number one. We are on to our number one rock record of the 2010s so far. It's an exciting one. This is one that came out in 2010 uh, from a band that we had mentioned earlier. Uh, It is High Violet by The National. So this album means a lot to me. I I have to say that The National are my favorite band. Um, This is my favorite album by this band. It is one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, so this is also the first album that I heard by them. So I think what they're doing here in terms of lyrics from Matt Berninger, in terms of songwriting by uh, Aaron and Bryce Desner, um, the, the guitar playing, the drumming, the drum fills uh, from, from Scott Davendorf or Brian Davendorf, one of those brothers, uh, the instrumentation that they're doing in terms of horns and strings and some of the other things that they're they're sprinkling in throughout not just the the drums guitar and bass i think this is one of the strongest showings of what a rock record can be and maybe should be for the 2010s the interesting thing about the national and you said that quite well that's a really good summation of what's so great about this album but the interesting thing about the national is uh, and what's captured by bands like Modern Baseball, probably like Titus Andronicus, like Japan Droids, uh, a lot of what people would argue is a defining element of rock is that youthfulness is a part of it. That there's this element of the young band, like members in their early 20s with a lot to say, with a lot on their mind, still haven't figured it all out. This is a different type of album. The National are a different type of band. But what sets this album apart is that this is a band that has, I think in 2010 with High Violet, like reached the peak of all their talents and like really, really figured it out. I listen, I recently uh, gave this a listen again on vinyl. I popped it on at night. I just, uh, I have a, I think it's a two, a double album version of it on vinyl. And uh, I was just taken aback. It's the first time I listened in a while uh, by how damn consistent this album is. Every single song is like, and and that's not an exaggeration. Like, every single song is great. Picking a least favorite is really legitimately hard. So it's picking a favorite. So it's picking a favorite. And what, so their songwriting process is basically the Desner brothers usually come up with the musical uh, elements of the song. They basically write an instrumental track. And then they send it off to Matt Berninger, the lead singer and lyrics writer, mm-hmm. and he sort of starts coming up with stuff. I think this is the best example of both of those elements of the band working perfectly. Like Matt Berninger is crushing it on this record, and the the Desner brothers also. Like some of their best instrumental components of songs are on this album. I yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think. 
an interesting podcast in and of itself would be best one-two punch album openers. Yeah. And I think when you look at the one and two tracks that start this album, uh, which are Sorrow and or Terrible Love and Sorrow, it doesn't get much better than that. No. But those aren't even those are arguably two of the best songs on the album. You still have Blood Buzz Ohio. You still Lemon have Conversation World. 16. Lemon World. Lemon World. Afraid of Everyone. Like the the high points on this album just they they just keep getting higher and I, higher and higher. I honestly think like they're all high points. Yeah. Like cuz I mean you passed over on Little Faith <laughs> and on uh what's the third track? Why am I forgetting um, it? Um, anyone's ghost. Anyone's ghost. Those songs are so good, <laughs> yeah. and it closes with Vandalile Crybaby Geeks, yep. and like you get uh, England on here, Conversation sixteen. Like you said, that's my favorite track on the album. I think that has the coolest sound to it. it has mm-hmm. this eerie, dark drone. It does of an instrumental in the back, and the just the melodies that Matt Burning are doing, and the cool lyrics he's singing, where the I was afraid I'd eat your brains because I'm evil. That part's so cool. And the drums on this song are awesome. The fills before the chorus are so cool. And I think that's an underrated part of The National. Oh, it's like is, maybe my favorite part. Is, we haven't is even the, talked about Is it. the drums. Yeah. Um, I think everyone obviously looks towards uh, Matt Berninger and his lyrics and his showmanship when he's on stage. And then, you know, they look at, at, at the two brothers, two twin brothers playing guitar. I think an underrated part is the drumming and when you look at a song like blood buzz ohio or conversation 16 the drums make that sound blood buzz, make that song blood buzz ohio is you've probably heard it listeners it's like i think the most well first of all you've probably heard this album you probably heard a lot yeah. of it and that song is the most popular well-known song on it to me the drums are the engine that makes that song go mm-hmm. the beat that I, I can't remember if it's brian or scott I can't remember either. I don't I know. think it's Scott. Is Scott the drummer? I think he is. One of the Devendorf brothers. Uh, the the rhythm in that song is so off kilter. It's so like weirdly composed. But from what I understand, he's like a really particular about his craft. He's a really serious, like very into drumming, uh, and works really hard on every beat. And honestly, if you listen through this album, Blood Buzz is just one example. I mean, you pointed out Conversation Sixteen, but throughout. All of this uh, record, the drums are really helping make the groove go and and give it a sound that's very distinct to the national because these are songs that instrumentally, they already stand out. What Burninger is doing with the vocals, that already stands out. But it becomes the national when you mix in what the rhythm section is doing. That's when it gets that sort of off-kilter, like I said, just strange rhythm vibe that, that the national has. Yeah, and I think... It's interesting to point out that the two brothers, the guitarists, are classically trained guitarists. They dabble a lot in classical music and actually have some side projects that deal with like orchestras and things like that. And you do start to see that seep into the national themselves. And I think they're a really unique band in that regard where like they don't have a super noticeable like guitar parts um they they kind of all just flow together and and kind of let the drums and and the lead singer take the forefront yeah but they're a really really important part of it as well to me the guitar plays like you said an important role but like they're writing stuff that's so well done and it fits it just it all fits so well 
you almost don't notice right. it because like it's obviously it's really important and it's like the groundwork for where the song is going, what they're writing on the guitar. Another point I wanted to make that's interesting about the National, I think it, it, it shines through on this album and on others, is that while they're classically trained, the two guitarists, Berninger, as a vocalist, has like no traditional or classical training of any kind. I doesn't play any instruments. Nope. Just sings and just writes lyrics. What great baritone voice. One oh, of yeah. one of the best, in my opinion, voices in rock music today. And I think the national occupy a point you could put them up there with probably maybe not as big as a vampire weekend or an arcade fire i think <laughs> they've had a pretty meteoric rise over yeah. the past five years they're in, in the next of, tier down they're like basically when you're looking at the poster for like um a festival or something you'd have arcade fire in the big big print and then the next biggest print yeah, would be the national yeah they'd be in the size 24 font to the arcade fire size 32 exactly and i think the other really, th- the thing that really stands out to me about High Violet is this is where, so Matt Berninger is a distinctive singer. He writes distinctive lyrics, and his melodies were always good. This is where he kicks it into high gear on the, mel- just in melody department. Like, the stuff he's writing on this is really memorable. Yep. And not only that, we, I mean, we kind of glossed over this. They had another record come out in 2013 that was also in our top 10. Yeah. yeah. So that is just a crazy output of, of work in a three-year span that is just super high quality. I don't really see them stopping in terms of quality. Like you said, they're at a point in their careers. They know exactly what they're doing. They know who they are. They know what they're good at. I think they're just going to kind of keep churning out records. They've. It, it would be really interesting to me to hear if they do any kind of branching out or doing new sounds. They kind of have with Trouble Will Find Me. I mean, it has its own sound, I think, that's distinct from their others. And they do progress from album to album, yeah. but you'd never mistake a national song. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't hear it and be like, oh, I didn't know they sounded like that on that right. album. Like, they pretty much, you know what you're getting into. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I seriously can't recommend this album enough. In fact, today, as I was looking at the spreadsheet, I was looking at my rankings, and the number, I got to remember, it had a nine point something. And I looked at it, and I was like, that's not high enough. I was like, <laughs> yeah. that's not, because listening to this the other day, I was like, that album is damn near perfect. Yep. There's not a moment on it that I'm not excited to hear. And that's just, like, it, it's aged well, too. Yeah, very well. Like, I would love to pop it on anytime. I would, too. And uh, <laughs> it is aged like a fine wine. Which is a great sign, um, and it's a great tie-in with the national because Matt Bernier loves his wine. That's absolutely correct. I don't think we can really say anything else about this album other than that no. nice little uh, rhyme we had there yeah, with wa- wine. wine and everything else. So <laughs> we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, that was our top records, top rock records of the 2010s. We finished it off with High Violet by the National. Yeah. Um, so what we're gonna do is we will put together a playlist of key tracks um, from each one of these records that we discussed. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, be sure to check out our full list, which will be on level4media.net. Also, follow us on Twitter at level4 underscore media. Um, And then give us a a subscribe on iTunes, um, Stitcher. You can listen on SoundCloud. Throw us a review. Give us a review on iTunes. Send your prayers for me to feel better. That's right. Because the, the sickness has caught... How, how did I do for my flu you, game? This is like an A+. This was, this was Jordan flu game, except better. Wow. Except higher stakes, okay. more important, more athletic performance, wow. more uh, 
more mental fortitude. Well, it's to get funny you it say well. athletic. Listeners won't won't agree because they didn't see me doing jumping jacks for the duration. That's right, and like they wouldn't even notice your voice didn't change, even though you were you're dripping sweat. Yeah, I am. I am. It's a grisly sight here. I have one of those like old timey cold bags on my head that looks like like a sort of looks like an udder you know what i mean was, yeah yeah this yeah. was a definite this my my well-being sort of descended <laughs> through the podcast i'm gonna go rest he, he dug deep on this one yeah um you know hopefully he'll be back for next week yeah, we'll see you might be listening to the the listen in sean cast with just sean that's right that's right well until then until next week please give us a review on itunes subscribe tell your friends too it's really important for a new podcast such as ours, yeah. word of mouth is huge. Um, if you could, you know, let one of your friends know who might like some music discussion. Yeah. You know? Any recommendation is big. And also interaction is huge. So yeah. <laughs> if you can let us know on Twitter or wherever you want to interact with us in your comments on SoundCloud or in a, re- in a review on iTunes, what you thought, what are some of the albums you think we missed, what are some of the albums you also love, Yeah, that'd be really cool to yep, hear as well. That'd be great. Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you. We're always monitoring that stuff. Yeah, we um, comment right back. We, we we got nothing better to do. No, so, except yeah. like work, our jobs. Yeah, other than that, I mean, this takes priority. So uh, give, us, give us a shout. Uh, but until next week, it's the Listen In Podcast. Thanks, everyone. Hopefully it's coming in nice and clear on this new mic. So you mean you you mean to tell me you didn't get that phlegm tidbit? I knew you'd be upset. Maybe you should repeat it. Okay, what I was going to say was, or what I did say was, phlegm is an awesome hangman word because the PHL, no one knows to guess that. What a GM. And then the GM, and there's only one vowel. So people are like, oh, there's probably a second vowel. So they're going to use up all their vowel guesses. That's like a torso, and then you get, you know, no one's gonna guess. No one's gonna get it. You're stringing that guy up before two letters have been on. Yeah, the hangman's getting another uh, pair of boots. Have you, have you ever, have you ever had someone guess phlegm correctly? I think so, because I went back to the well one too many times. (laughs) I think. Also, when's the last time you legitimately played hangman? High school. That's the last time I've played. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm not in a hangman club with other adults. I'm not going to not say I'm doing that. You're not going to not say it. So you're not in one. I'm not going to not say that I... Wait. If I'm not going to not say it, that means I am going to say it. And so what I'm going to say (laughs) is that I'm in a hangman club for adults. Okay. Hangman the game. Not any kind of nefarious activity. Uh, Yeah, sure. (laughs) <laughs> All right, you ready? Yeah, now after that jump, okay. I'm ready. All right. Three, two, one.